All right, well, this morning we have the pleasure of having Jenny Nacelli here with us to teach. She is a dear friend of mine and a sweet sister in the Lord. I got to know Jenny through many different contexts, but more closely when we were together in a Titus II group. I was partnering with another uh, dear friend, and Jenny was a part of a circle of young women that came and was a part of that group, so I got to know her there. And most recently, Jenny has been my co-mentor in a group that, that was held during this last year. We had a group especially for young women who had experienced pregnancy loss. So that was a really sweet time, and we've got one of our group members is, is here this morning, and so... Uh, Jenny is just, I consider her just a sweet gift of the Lord to us here at the North Church, and I think you will agree after you hear from Jenny, God has gifted her to be able to teach in a way that I think you can just really relate to. She has gained her experience teaching uh, through, well, you taught years ago, I think, Jenny, in in a, a, a school setting, classroom setting, but she's got four beautiful girls that she homeschools at home. She also teaches through a homeschool co-op, and she is married to Andy, who is an elder here at the North Church and is also a professor at Bethlehem College and Seminary, and I'm so grateful that in the midst of her busy life, Jenny has agreed to come and to teach for us this week on Proverbs 31. So Jenny, would you come? And I would like to pray for you as we start. Father, I thank you so much for this dear sister. And I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit on her, that you would equip her, you would strengthen her, you would pour out your grace so that we might learn wonderful things from your word this morning. Proverbs 31 is a rich, rich chapter full of sweet things for us to learn. And so, God, would you come with your spirit, affect our hearts, Lord. Would you have us leave being transformed by your spirit? And so, come this morning. We are thankful for your presence. We are thankful for your good gift of Jenny. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks. I'm not very loud, so... If you guys can't hear me, would you please just wave at me or something, Um, especially you on the side, and I will try very hard to eat the mic. I'm not very good at eating mics, but I'll try. Um, I'm honored to be with you this morning. Yesterday, I was with the Tuesday evening group, and I'm really humbled as I look out and see all the gray heads. And I just want to say that I think many of you could be up here and you could be sharing from your own wisdom and your own advice and your own life experience. And I want to honor you um, and not think that I know more than you do. Um, I've learned so much from you older women and I'm really thankful for you. We're going to dive into Proverbs 31. I'm going to read verse 1 and then I'll read verses 10 through 31 and then we'll start unpacking it. You can follow along as I read. Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. 
She seeks for wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Isn't that beautiful? I think it is so beautiful. But before we start unpacking it, there are two elephants in the room that we have to identify and discuss. The first elephant in the room is, what if I'm not a married woman with children? The last thing I want to do is to send women home discouraged who are not married with children. Or if you're a woman who's mentoring younger women, maybe teen girls in small group, and you think, how can I give them Proverbs 31 if they're not married yet? Well, Proverbs 31 is a gift to us. It's God's kind gift to us. And it shows us God's values. It shows us what he defines as important. And we cannot force his description to meet our personal circumstances all the time. For example, when we read the elder qualifications in the New Testament, it wouldn't be all right for us to say, well, I'm not just I'm just not going to pay any attention to that because I'm not an elder. Or if we read in the Old Testament about the kings and the qualifications for being a king and what a king was supposed to be like. We can't just throw that away and say, I'm not a king, I'll never be a king. This is God describing what a wife looks like who fears the Lord. And yes, it is a wife. But it would have been a woman who wasn't married yet because it's a mother telling her son the kind of woman to look for. Look for a kind of woman who would be this way if she was given the opportunity. So if you're not in the category of wife and mother, please don't leave discouraged. Leave thinking, these are descriptions of what God values in womanhood, and the kind of woman that the king would be looking for would be a woman who wasn't married yet, who would be able to fulfill these responsibilities if she was given the chance. So that's the first elephant. What if I'm not married with children? The second elephant is, what if I just find this really discouraging? I read it, and I think, I'm not even getting out of bed. There's no way I can do that. <laughs> I live in what I like to call girl world because I have four daughters, and directly behind me is another homeschooling mom who also has four daughters. And so regularly, almost every single day, I have 
seven to eight little girls living in my house, running back and forth in my house. It's very feminine. And one thing that I've noticed about females is that we don't like it when somebody else is better at something than we are. For example, if one little girl is being praised for being very good at something or very smart or very pretty, the other girls around her, especially the ones that are close in age, can feel a little bit like... And I recognize that in my heart. And when I read Proverbs 31, sometimes I can be tempted to feel a little bit like that. And so I was thinking about how can I inspire the women to not be that way? How can I inspire myself to not respond that way? And I thought about my husband. Now, my husband is not a woman, (laughs) obviously. And thank God. And... I don't know if this is a male-female thing or if it's a personality thing, but he doesn't respond this way when he sees people who are better at something than he is. So he loves to work out, and he loves to watch the CrossFit games, and sometimes I will grudgingly sit on the couch and watch the CrossFit games with him. And when the men on the screen are lifting ridiculous amounts of weight or running incredible cardio routines, he is not frustrated by that. He doesn't sit there and go, oh, brother. He has eyes shining, his heart's beating, he's sitting on the edge of the couch, he's cheering for them. If they PR, he's so excited that they broke their own record. For the- and then the next morning when he gets up, he's working harder. He's pushing, he's lifting stronger. And I was really convicted when I saw that about my husband. If I were the one watching the CrossFit Games, I would be going, oh, brother, I could never do that. I'm not even going to try. I give up on working out. But instead, my husband goes, I want to work harder. He'll never meet those goals probably, but he's going to work really hard because he's been inspired by them. And so that's what I hope you leave with today. I hope you leave inspired. Maybe one, maybe two things that you can hang on to as you leave and that you can be inspired by. I don't want you to read Proverbs 31 tomorrow morning and groan. I want you to think, oh, I'm going to work on that. Lord, give me grace to work on that. So let's start by talking about who the author is, and then we're going to talk about the organization of it, and then we'll go through verse by verse. So at the very beginning, it says the words of King Lemuel. And I looked, and there's not a Lemuel in the Old Testament. So who is Lemuel? Well, Jewish tradition has it that Lemuel was a nickname for Solomon, which makes sense since most of the rest of Proverbs was written by Solomon. And I think it's kind of fun to think of his mother having a nickname for him. Lemuel means gift of God. And it's neat to think that his mother would have called him this little nickname and then he would have used that when he's remembering his mother's words. If Solomon was Lemuel, then who was Solomon's mother? Bathsheba was his mother, which really snaps things into context when you think of Bathsheba's story. Bathsheba would have experienced firsthand that charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. And Bathsheba would have lived most of her adult life in the royal courts, and she would have seen royal consorts, all kinds of women who either embodied Proverbs 31 or who did not embody it in any way. And so she would have had a vested interest in training her son to think carefully about the kind of woman he chose for his queen. And then, if you think about ancient culture and the royal 
jockeying for power that happened in a harem, the way that wives advanced themselves was by promoting their son to be the one that sat on the throne. That was ultimate success. If you could get your son on the throne, there might be 25 other royal wives. And so you wanted your son to be the one that became king. And you would train your son, and you would groom your son, and you would prepare your son in every way possible to be the king. And we see Bathsheba at the end of David's life go into King David and say, you promised me that Solomon would be the next king. And he says, oh, you're right, I did. And Solomon becomes the king. So I think that's an interesting backstory. We don't know 100% that Lemuel is Solomon, but I think it makes sense. And I think it's interesting. So that's the author. The organization is that it's a poem in Hebrew. It's an acrostic poem. So an acrostic is you take every line of poetry starts with the next letter of the alphabet. So A, B, C, D, E, F. It doesn't look like that because it's translated into English for us. But it's fun to think about writing an acrostic. And so I tried it. Here's my acrostic. I'm going to go fast so you might not catch them all. But the excellent wife is able brave, creative, dedicated to her family, energetic, fears the Lord, gentle and generous, helpful, insightful and industrious, just, kind, loving, maker of many things, not evil, occupied with serving others, pure, quiet spirit, rare, seller of sashes, teacher of good, unique, virtuous, wife, excellent, is how I did X, You excel them all and zealous. So it's just fun to do. I'm certainly not inspired, but it's fun to do. It's fun to think about it being an acrostic. And it's fun to think about either Bathsheba or Solomon thinking carefully about a description for each letter. Also, the verbs can be translated as past tense verbs, which is very, very interesting. I learned this from Jason DeRoshi. He is a beloved friend who used to teach at Bethlehem College and Seminary here. He taught Old Testament, and now he teaches at Midwestern. And he, when he studied this, he said, the verbs are all past tense. So it's not a woman who will do this. It's a woman who did. And so it's almost like stepping back and reading the obituary of a woman who at the end of her life did all these things. I I thought about Pam's father when I was writing this because I read his obituary and it said that he was a godly young man and he went to college and he married his wife and he was a wonderful father to his children and a wonderful grandfather and a wonderful church member. But he wasn't all of those things simultaneously. And I think that's really, really helpful. When I was growing up, our pastor's wife died when I was about 16. She was our our retired pastor's wife. And she was a godly woman. And when we had her funeral, our pastor took her Bible. And he went through her Bible. And he walked through her life. And he talked about different passages that he had found in her Bible that she had written things beside about how the Lord had been with her and how the Lord had helped her. And he talked about how she feared the Lord in these different seasons of her life. And so that's what we're seeing here. We're not seeing a woman who wakes up and before dusk accomplishes all these things. We're seeing a woman who at the end of her life, maybe she's 85, 90 years old, she dies, and someone's standing up and saying, this is the kind of woman she was throughout her whole life. That's encouraging to me. It makes it not like we have to conquer it in 24 hours. 
So now we're going to talk about the structure. The structure is what's called a chiasm. So a chiasm is just a way to organize poetry. You know that poems can have all different kinds of organization. And this poem is a chiasm. And when I think of a chiasm, I'm going to step away from the mic for a sec because I'm going to use my hands. When I think of a chiasm, it's usually in this shape. So almost like a letter X. And the main point is in the middle. And the top and bottom parallel and then the second line and second to the bottom line are parallel and the third line and the third from the bottom are parallel and the fourth and the fourth from the bottom are parallel and that's what's happening in this poem we've got all of these parallel ideas building 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 to the very middle point and the middle point is the most important and you have to remember this is a mother telling her son what kind of wife to look for to be on the look for so she wants someone who is going to come alongside him and be the best possible partner for him so she's putting in the middle respect for her for a husband a woman who will exalt him and lift him up and enable him to be a good and wise king so that's why it's the most important thing for her but i love what's at the bottom or at the top and bottom if you're doing it like this the top and bottom is a woman who fears the lord and if you take a take the chiasm i printed it out for you it's on your handout so i have it printed this way you can see kind of the letter x shape if you turn it sideways it almost looks like a house and so I think about um, the proverb that says, a wise woman builds her house, but a foolish woman plucks it down with her hands. And a foolish woman would be a woman who takes out pieces, like in a Jenga block tower, and says, how many pieces can I take out? And it's not going to really fall, but if somebody sneezes or closes the door quickly, it's going to all come down. And so we want to be wise women who build our homes and build up our husbands. And so that's the, kind, the goal for using this kind of a structure in the poem. I'm going to go through, um, and if you look at your handout, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to start at the bottom, and I'm going to step up. So I'm going to go one, two, three, four, just like we're climbing up the tower, and then we're going to step all the way back down. But every step, we're going to look across at the parallel and see, oh, what's the parallel? Because the parallel helps to flesh it out a little bit, and then when we go back down the stairs, we'll go faster, and it'll just be like a review. So that's where we're going. That's where we're headed. So let's look at verse 10. It says, an excellent wife who can find. So this kind of excellent wife is rare. She's more precious than jewels or rubies, if you memorize the King James like I did when you were little. Um, so she's a very precious, she's a very rare kind of woman. And Bathsheba's telling her son, look for this kind of woman. She's not going to be just walking along the streets somewhere. You're going to have to really search for this kind of woman. And if we look across the stair step at verse 30 and 31, we see what it is. What's the secret that makes her be such a rare and excellent wife? Do you see what it is in verse 30 and 31? Who does she fear? She fears the Lord, and that's the foundation. Because she fears the Lord, all of these other things flow out of her fear of the Lord. This is the foundation for what makes her be an excellent wife. So now we're going to go up to the second step. The husband benefits from the wife. He benefits from her in three ways. His heart trusts safely in her. He has no lack of gain. And she does him good and not evil. So let's think about a royal household. What kind of queen would you need? Well, the king needs a queen that he can trust safely in. 
Can you think of any queens in world history whose husbands could not trust safely in them? And can you think of what ended up happening? Think of Marie Antoinette. Think of Jezebel. There are lots of queens whose husbands really could not trust them. We aren't queens, and we don't have that issue. But can your husband's heart safely trust in you? Can he come home and share with you details about his work and know that you are trustworthy, that you are safe? Can he trust you to be a good partner to him? Can he trust you to pray for him? Can he trust you at women's Bible study not to share intimate details about his struggles and his sin? Does your husband's heart trust safely in you? That's a really big one. It's the second one up, so it's part of the foundation of being an excellent wife. He will have no lack of gain. That doesn't just mean financial gain. She is careful with his money. She's not going around spending it. But also his reputation... His heart is not afraid of her hurting him. And he's not afraid that he will lack things because of his wife. And she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She is dedicated to pouring herself into the good of this man and this kingdom and this household. We're not queens, but can we say that of ourselves? Would God say that of us? Are we trying to do our husbands good and not evil? And I just want to stop and say, I see so many of you who are. I see wives here at North Church who are committed to doing their husbands good and not evil. And you're doing hard things and you're sacrificing and you're enabling him to run in the way that God has, has ordained for him to run. You are doing him good. Imagine if that were to spill out to our culture. Imagine if Minnesota was full of wives who did their husbands good and not evil. Imagine if social media was full of wives who did their husbands good and not evil. Imagine if the whole world was full of wives who, when you thought of a wife, that's what you thought of. Oh, she does her husband good and not evil. Think of the difference that would make. That's huge. So this woman fears the Lord, and she does her husband good and not evil. And if you look across at the stair step, at verse 28 and 29, the parallel is the husband and children praise her, and they praise her because they can trust her. They trust her that their secrets are safe with her, that they're not going to lack any good thing, that she is going to do what's good and right for them. So she fears the Lord. She is working for his good and not his evil. Now we're going to go up another stair step, and this is a big one. She works really hard. And then there's a whole list of verbs. And the list of verbs aren't parallel to another thing, but it's just um, parallel to working hard in verse 27. So I wrote out the list of verbs. It's on the back of your handout here. I think it's helpful to see the verbs in a list. It was helpful for me because when I first started studying this, I just about despaired because I can't sew on buttons. I can't sew on anything. My children can sew better than I can, and I'm not exaggerating. They really can. Um, And so I thought, oh, how am I ever going to teach them Proverbs 31? I can't spin or weave or anything. But then I started looking at the verbs, and the verbs are really interesting and encouraging. So let's just work right through the list. I have the list on the back of your sheet. You can look at it. She seeks for wool and flax. That means she's looking for fabric that's appropriate for the season. What season do you wear wool? Winter. And flax is a really light fabric. 
even thinner than cotton. So you would use that in summer. So she's looking for appropriate clothes for herself and for her children and for her husband and for her household. That's encouraging to me because I can look for appropriate clothes without having to sew. (laughs) She works with willing hands. I almost think that this could be the summary of this whole list. Everything that she does, she works with willing hands. Could that be said of us? Could it be said of us that when we're given work, we attack it, that we work with willing hands? She brings her food from afar. So she's thinking carefully about her family's health. She's thinking carefully about her husband's money. She doesn't want him to have lack of gain. So she's willing to travel to bring in the food that their household needs. And if she was a queen, this would be a much bigger deal than just providing lunch for four kids. It would be setting out a banquet for traveling guests and needing to know how to source the food. So this would be a very big deal. She rises while it's yet night. So she's willing to sacrifice her own rest and her own comfort to get up early and to make sure that her home and her household are being well cared for. She provides food for the people in her home. She finds joy in setting a table, inviting people in, and providing food for them and nourishing their bodies and their souls. She considers a field. So she's an intelligent woman. She's interested in real estate. She thinks carefully. She researches. She does her education. And she considers carefully before she buys it. And then she's willing to buy it. So she has an income at her disposal. If she was a queen, maybe she would have had an inheritance. Maybe the, the king would have given her money. And she's thinking carefully about how to invest her money in ways that bless her home and bless her household. I was thinking about a queen who considered a field and got it in a completely ungodly way. If you think about Jezebel, and you know the story of Nabal, uh, Nabal had a field, he had a vineyard, and King Ahab, who was not a God-honoring king, wanted Nabal's vineyard. And he went to Nabal and he said, can I buy your vineyard? And Nabal said, this has been in my family for generations, I can't sell it. And King Ahab, do you know what he did? He went home and he laid face down on his bed and pouted. He's a grown man. And Jezebel came in, his queen, and she said, what are you doing? And he said, and she said, aren't you the king? And she got up and she went to two, the Bible says, worthless men. She hired them to come in and to tell lies about Nabal. They said that he was blaspheming the Lord. And so he was killed for a completely unjust reason, and Ahab stole his field. That is exactly the kind of queen we do not want to be. (laughs) We do not want to use our feminine wisdom and our feminine charm and our feminine conniving to acquire things in evil ways. But God has given us feminine wisdom and feminine charm and feminine intelligence and we want to use it in ways that honor God and bless our homes and our families and our neighbors and the people around us so if you think of her as an opposite example of what you want to be I think that's a helpful example she plants a vineyard so she's got the land now she's not afraid of physical work she's going to roll up her sleeves and she's going to use her own income to turn around and to plant this field so she is a woman who is creative and hardworking and investing the money that she has 
She dresses herself with strength and she makes her arms strong. I thought this one was particularly interesting because this is the only physical description of what her body looks like. It talks about her opening her hands, it talks about her tongue, but this is the only description of what she looks like. So Bathsheba's saying to her son, don't go out and pick the most beautiful woman. Go out and pick a woman who has strong, hardworking arms. Because that's the kind of woman that will bless you and bless your family. I thought that was really interesting. She perceives that her merchandise and her work is good. And this reminds me of the Lord in Genesis 1 when he's creating. He creates and creates and creates and creates. And then he steps back and he says, it's good. It's good. It's good. And that's what this woman is doing. She's working really, really hard. And then at the end of the evening, before she goes to bed, she steps back and she says, Thank you, God. It is good. She's done good work. Her lamp does not go out at night, so she's continuing to work into the evening. She's making sure that her, list of, that her work is good. And so if we were going to summarize that whole list, then I would look across at the other stair step at verse 27 where it says, she looks well to the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. So that, I think, is a summary of this whole list of verbs that she's been doing. And this is so convicting to me. Every morning when I'm tempted to sleep in, I think she does not eat the bread of idleness. She rises well to it. (laughs) It's very convicting to me. Okay, now we're going to go back to the parallels. So we are on one, two, three, four from the bottom. Verse 20, she opens her hands to the poor. And if you look across at the parallel verse, in verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom. So this woman is known for wisdom and kindness and generosity. When she opens her hands, generosity pours out to her husband, to her children, to her neighbors, to everybody around her, to the poor that come to her gates if she's a queen. And then when she opens her mouth, what she's known for is kindness and wisdom. Could that be said of us? Could it be said that when we open our hands, generosity pours out? When we open our mouths, wisdom and kindness pour out? That's really convicting to me, especially the mouth one. Uh, And then we're going to jump up another step. She had no fear of the snow. This one's so convicting to me. I moved here 10 years ago from South Carolina. South Carolina doesn't have snow. If we have snow, the whole world stops. We get this much snow, and everybody gets a snow day for maybe two days until it's safely gone. So you do not go outside when there is white stuff on the ground. It could be deadly. So we moved here 10 years ago, and I thought, oh, my And I talked to a pastor's wife, and one of the first things she said to me was, you'll be fine, just pray for lots of snow. Why would you pray for more? (laughs) I know it's coming. I don't understand why you'd pray for more of it. I had a five-year-old and a two-year-old and a one-year-old at that time, and I thought, the last thing I'm going to do is pray for snow. Snow, to me, communicates danger. It communicates sickness, because people always get sick in the winter. It communicates school, because that's when we have to be doing school. Ugh, why would you pray for more of any of that? But the Lord has slowly been changing my heart over the 10 years here, and I have learned the good that comes from the season of snow. I'm actually starting to maybe sort of like it. And I am learning that there are sweet and good seasons that you can have in your home with your children and with your husband and with people that you're inviting into your home that are different 
than the kind of hospitality and care and service and nurturing that you do in the summer. And the reason that this woman does not fear the snow is twofold. One, she's really well prepared. She's preparing her children with appropriate clothes. Remember it said she's seeking for wool? So this time of year, she's out already researching the best wool socks for her kids. And she is well prepared for sickness. She's well prepared for their schooling. She's well prepared for the hospitality that's going to have to happen during the winter. But the other reason that she's not afraid of snow, and this is a much bigger one, is do you remember what she does fear? Do you remember the bottom, the foundation? What does she fear? She fears the Lord. And because she fears the Lord, she knows that the Lord has given her this snow season, and she wants to honor the Lord with the snow season. And I have, over 10 years, begun to learn what that looks like and what that means, mostly by watching you women do it well and teach me how to do it. Um, But I have begun to see that when you fear the Lord, you do not need to fear the snow. And actually, my kids do pray for more snow now, so I do understand. It is more fun to have more snow. If you look across at the parallel, the other thing that she does not fear is she does not fear the future. So I think fearing the snow is a pretty young mom that moved from South Carolina thing to fear. But fearing the future is something that all of us face. The future is scary. There's all kinds of things that could happen. And to think that she laughs at the time to come, I think, how did she get there? How did she get to the point where she could laugh at the time to come? She remembers who is already in the future. The Lord is already in the future. And so she can laugh at times to come because she fears the Lord and she trusts that he will be with her. All right, we're going to bump up one more for children are clothed in scarlet. So her children are clothed in scarlet. She's got them well ready for snow. She has good clothes for them. And the parallel across the step is verse 25. She's clothed with dignity. So I looked up dignity. Dignity means honor or respect, carrying yourself with honor or respect. And I thought this is a queen, a wife, who when she thinks of her husband, she wants people to respect and honor him. So the way that she dresses herself and the way that she dresses her children is intentional because she wants people to think of her husband with honor. So she's not going to expose parts of her body. She's not going to carry her body. She's not going to wear certain things. And she's not going to let her children wear certain things because she wants the dignity, the honor, the respect to go back to her husband. It's all building towards the top. We're almost there. Um, If you go to the second to the top one, verse 22, she made coverings for her bed. Her wife wore linen, the, the wife wore linen. And then the across one is she made garments and sashes. So she is creating beautiful clothes and beautiful bed coverings for herself, for her children, for her home, for people who might be staying in her home. And she's selling them. She's turning around and making a profit with the work of her hands that she's able to do. And she's wearing linen. So she's not being praised for being cheap or dowdy, which I thought was interesting, but instead she's being praised for dressing well in a dignified way. And the whole point for all of these works is the very top. Verse 23, the pinnacle, the middle of the chiasm is her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Now remember this is a queen talking to her 
kingly son about the kind of queen he should look for. So she's saying, if you want to be successful as a king, as a leader in the land, you need to look for a wife like this, who will honor you, who will help you, who will do all the quiet background work so that you can flourish and shine. None of us are queens. I don't think we probably ever will be queens, (laughs) but we can still learn from this. We can say, what is the work that we are doing so that our husbands can shine? And I am not pretending that our husbands are perfect. And neither was Bathsheba. Bathsheba was married to King David. Do you know anything about King David? King David was a man after God's own heart, and he had really big problems, really big. And she lived in the royal court, and she saw the generational pain that came from David's sin. And so she is saying, look for a wife who will bring you honor and wives be the kind of wives who will honor your husbands, even though your husbands are broken men and sinful men. They're not perfect. This is written after Genesis 2 and 3. God knows that the fall happened, but God has called us to be wives like this, to be wives who honor and so work for the good of our husbands that even broken and imperfect men can flourish. I think that's beautiful. Okay, now we're going to step, 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 step down quickly. And as we step down, we're going to just peek over at the ones that we've already done just to review. So this will be a lot faster. We're almost done. Okay, so she made garments and sashes just like she made coverings for her bed. So she's using her hands to create beautiful things for her family. She's clothed in dignity just like her children are clothed in scarlet. So she and her children are wearing appropriate, respectful clothing. She has no fear of the future, just like she has no fear of snow. And why doesn't she fear the future or fear snow? Because she fears the Lord. She opens her mouth with wisdom and kindness, just like she opens her hands with generosity to the poor. She works really, really, really hard. Her her husband and children praise her because she does them good and not evil. And it ends with, this is a woman who fears the Lord. And so if we are women who fear the Lord, this is the outworking of it. This is the natural growth of fearing the Lord. If you look back at the beginning of Proverbs, it clearly highlights the difference between lady wisdom and lady folly. And you hear lady wisdom say, come, come to me, come buy my bread, come eat at my table, come learn from me. And when I read Proverbs 31, I feel like, we sat in her house and we watched her live and we got to see what lady wisdom looks like. But do you remember the elephants in the room? Do you remember the second elephant? None of us can do this. And this can feel really discouraging and demoralizing if we go, okay, here's my list. I'm going to start weaving and I'm going to go buy a field and I'm... That becomes very discouraging very quickly. And so I just want you to remember the second elephant in the room. Don't go away discouraged. Remember, Proverbs 8 personifies wisdom. It's a beautiful personification of wisdom. And when Andy was preaching on it, he said, Jesus is the ultimate personification of wisdom in Proverbs 8. The Proverbs 31 woman is the feminine version of wisdom. She's not God. She's not a savior. I don't want to be confusing in what I'm saying, but she's like wisdom personified in female form, but we can't achieve it. It's impossible for us to perfectly achieve that, but we have someone 
who did live a completely wise and perfect life. And so if you are tempted to go, when you read Proverbs 31, remember Jesus. Remember that he lived a perfectly wise and good and holy life for you and that you can go to Jesus and you can say, I can't, I'm not. There is no way that I can measure up. There is no way on earth that I can be a wise woman like this. And the Lord will say, I know. (laughs) And that's why I sent my son for you. And so you come, you come to Jesus and you lay down your inability and your weakness and you say, please take me and make me wise. I want my husband to flourish. I want to bless my home and my family. I can't do it on my own. Please give me Jesus' goodness and Jesus' wisdom and Jesus' perfection so that I can grow to be more like this kind of a woman. I want to remind you of the gospel and not leave you discouraged. But I also want to encourage you. I've learned about how to be a Proverbs 31 woman over the last 10 years because of you. I've been at this church and I've seen you women and I want to commend you. I see you walking through really hard things. I see you walking through disability. I see you walking through the death of your children. I see you walking through divorce. I see you walking through sickness and pain and long-term struggle and I see you fearing the Lord and it's beautiful and it's inspiring to me and to my daughters and I just want to encourage you go further up and further in keep fearing the Lord and keep letting it overflow to young women like me but I want to thank you too let's pray father thank you for these north women thank you that they are women who fear the Lord I pray that we would grow more and more and more to fear you. I pray that we would not be like in James where it says they are hearers of the word and not doers, but I pray that we would hear and that we would listen and remember. And I pray that we would work wisely and well for the good of our husbands and our families. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.